In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I don't want the fast of the apostles to come and go without us really focusing on the apostles. And in particular, we say it's the fast of the apostles, but this ends on the feast of St. Peter and St. Paul. So we focus mainly on them and their ministry. And there are so many lessons we can learn from them. And I, I want to challenge you always when we're in a time of, of fasting, that we really do look at the feast that's coming and we engage with it so that we're learning. Engage with the characters, so apostles, on the apostles, St. Mary, St. Mary, Advent, it's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lent, it's the, the crucifixion, resurrection. There's always something to focus on. You always find, uh, for those of you who don't know, that a fast period is always just a preparation period for a feast that is to come. So I wanted to focus on, on St. Paul today and something about his life which we should learn from and that is how God looks for every person, to what lengths God will go for a person, regardless of the person. We sometimes think we're not good enough for God to make um, an, an attempt with us to make an effort. But if we actually look at St. Paul, we realize that St. Paul, although he was a persecutor of the church and a good one at that, he was a persecutor of the church, that even he was not left. God searched for him personally. He was going with letters on his way to Damascus to really persecute the church and the Christians there. That was his goal in life. He felt that was his purpose. And he did it, obviously, with dedication. We, we look at him and we see that he is a dedicated person. He, he is a person of integrity and a person who is responsible. And he exercised that exact same responsibility in his persecution of the church. But we're told in Acts 9.34 that as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, so he was almost there, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? For some of us, God will appear discreetly because that's what it takes. For others, it'll take this. Now, if you imagine someone of the intellect and the intelligence of St. Paul, someone who was versed in, in languages and cultures, who was obviously a very high standing, someone who had a great civic responsibility, and for whom this was a mission, this could not have just been any encounter. It couldn't have been an encounter like you and I, where we're sitting in the comfort of our rooms and someone got, suddenly God speaks to us and we think, yeah, I could feel that. For someone like St. Paul, he would have justified it with a thousand different explanations. He would have thought it was hallucination, it was his imagination, it was this or it was that. For him, as a rational man, who was not only of authority, but also 
of great passion, God needed to do something astounding. And don't forget that it wasn't just for him. Because everyone around him saw this happen. His entourage, someone like St. Paul, didn't ride alone. He had an entourage, he had people with him. He had people who accompanied him on his mission. And so everyone around him, who would have been also part of his campaign, saw this happen. And it was a very public way of God saying to Saul, I need you to do something for me, and I need you, before you do it, to actually change. Not just to change a little bit, but it has to be a change of monumental uh, measures in your life that changes you from being Saul the persecutor to Paul the evangelist and the speaker of truth. When God appears to us, he will appear in the best way that suits us. And the bigger the challenge and the bigger the potential obstacle, the greater God's attempt to make a difference in our lives. Sometimes we look for the subtle and we don't see it, we don't sense it, we don't understand it. And so God needs to be blatant with us sometimes. He won't be aggressive, he won't be angry, um, he won't be um, abrasive in our lives, but he will make a point of making a point. And so if St. Paul, Saul back then, wasn't too lost, then how can we think we are sometimes too lost? How can we possibly think, I'm not good enough for God. God's forgotten about me. God doesn't see me, doesn't know me. We sometimes say that to ourselves because we truly believe it. And if we truly believe it, then we feel a sense of hopelessness. Because if I really think that I am of no value, if I really think that God doesn't care about me or will not look for me or will not seek me, then I must be in a very, very bad place. I must think of myself as being not only without value, but without hope. That's the first thing. Or sometimes we'll do it from a very different perspective. And that perspective is that I'm making an excuse. So if I think I'm not important enough, I'm not good enough, God doesn't think of me, God doesn't see me, then maybe, just maybe, I'm looking from a different perspective and saying, well, therefore I don't need to make an effort. I'm lost already. I'm gone already. doesn't matter. And that becomes justification to me that I don't need to do anything anymore. Both of those scenarios are destructive. And so in the story, in this account of St. Paul's meeting with our Lord, we realize that we can't ignore God's voice. And when he wants to get his voice to us, he will get his voice to us. We just need to be attentive. What did our Lord say to him? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
it is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, Saul was not a man who trembled. Saul was not a man who was astonished. But God touched him in the way that he knew would make a difference to him. And even for him, it changed suddenly. He didn't say, why are you doing this to me? He didn't say, what have I done? It was very clear. Because accounts will tell us that he was a very honest man. As Saul, he honestly felt that was his mission, he carried it out. As Paul, he honestly felt that was his mission, he carried it out. So he was an honest man. And so the minute our Lord appeared to him, and he said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He didn't put up a fuss. He said, okay, yes, what do you want me to do? That takes you with integrity. To own up to our mistakes, to our shortcomings, takes you with integrity. Sometimes we use our mistakes as a convenient escape. So, because I have mistakes, I don't need to try to live righteously. Because I have mistakes, I don't need to do the right thing. Because I have mistakes, I can't stand before God. I can't do this and I can't do that. Which is a way of us washing our hands of our responsibilities. But, but St. Paul was so courageous and had such integrity that the minute he was told his mistake, he owned up to it and said, yes, yes, that's true. This is what I've done. Now, what can I do? What do you want me to do? He sent him to Anianistan, and in Acts 9, we read Ananias saying, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Do you really want to work with this man? Do you really want to make an effort with him? This is Saul. I, I, I am sitting here a hundred miles away, and I've heard of him. I've heard he persecutes your people. I've heard he persecutes your church. I've heard horrible things about him. Do you really want to do anything with this man? Do you think he's worth your efforts? Do you think this is something you'd like to embark on? And sometimes we'll feel the same way. Lord, you know, this guy, seriously? Look at him. He's, he's, his background has been this, or his history has been that, or he's hit this sort of lifestyle. And we make those judgments about each other. We look at each other and we judge whether a person is worthwhile or not. And how horrible that is. How horrible that God, who is perfect and pure and righteous and, and sinless, can look at every one of us and say, you know what, he's a good man, she's a good woman, I can work with her, I can work with him. I'll send them my message and I'm going to be patient. But we 
who are sinful and broken and limited can turn around and say, well, this person doesn't deserve, or this person isn't worthy. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, king of Israel. Yes, Ananias, I've heard what you've said. I have not only heard it, I have seen it, and I have heard the cries of my people who are being persecuted by him, but it doesn't matter. He is a chosen vessel of mine. Now seriously, if God can choose Saul to be a vessel, anybody can be a vessel. It's, it's now the equivalent of someone going to the leader of Islamic State who makes it his business to persecute and kill and torment Christians and say, you know what, I'm going to take you as a chosen vessel, I'm going to change your life, and you are not only going to preach for me and of me, you're going to die for me in the first place. That's exactly what it was. It was that dramatic. It was his mission to wipe out Christians and Christianity because it was so corruptive. But it was still a chosen vessel. And a chosen vessel for what? What are we chosen to do? He is a chosen vessel to bear my name. Lord, you're even going to give him your name? The name that he persecutes? The name that he detests? The name that, that he probably jokes about? Is this what you're going to do? Yes. And not only am I going to give him my name, he is going to become a witness for me. Before the Gentiles, the whole world, kings, those in authority, and even my own children. Even my own children. That's how much he's going to do. Because I know he can. The Lord wants us all in his flock, no matter how far we think we have strayed. And not only that, not only if we have strayed as sheep, but if, even if we have become one of the wolves. He is able to take a wolf and transform it into a sheep and become one of his own. And that's the beauty of what God can do. God is a God of the impossible. How many times, I don't know in your lives, if you have met people who you thought, just, there was no hope. This guy, this girl, seriously, their lifestyle, their choices, what they do, how they dress, what they work as. People who the world wouldn't give a second look. The number of times I've been told, Really, this person, are you sure? I'll say, absolutely, yes, of course I'm sure, yes. I was speaking with someone a couple of weeks ago who said, yeah, but you know, this girl, and, and 
you're looking from your own perspective. And I said, okay, let's make a deal. Let's not look through my perspective. Let's look from the perspective of Christ. Are you happy with that? Because Christ is not a pushover. You can't pull a fast one on God. He sees, he knows. What he also knows, however, is true change. So he's willing to look at us and take us at face value as long as we're making a difference to our lives and making a change. If we're just trying to make a cosmetic, superficial change, you can see through that instantly. But if we're trying to make a real change at the core of who we are, then God is so willing to support us and so willing to accept us regardless. So Maximus the Confessor says, the purpose of God's providence is to unite people who have been separated by evil by means of the right faith and spiritual love. So when God sees someone who has been separated because of their evil, because of evil in their life, because of their choices, whatever it is, he's able to take them and put them back and change them back to where they were by two things. First of all, by faith, putting them on the right faith, believing in the right things so that they know because it's all about faith it's all about what we believe because we can only live what we believe if we have nothing to believe in then what choices are we going to make and what are they going to be based on so first of all by the right faith and secondly through spiritual love saying, this is direction, this is the choice, this is what I'm going to call you to do. And no matter who you are, I'm going to love you. And I'm going to love you sincerely. And I'm going to love you genuinely. I'm going to love you because you are my creation and because you are the one that I have chosen. But you know what? That meeting with Saul, although it apparently blinded him, is what really opened his eyes. It opened his eyes to his own iniquity, to his own sins, to his own flaws and faults. It opened his eyes to what he should be doing. It opened his eyes to what he must leave behind. He could not be Saul and Paul at the same time. And sometimes we try to be. Sometimes we try to be a little bit this way and a little bit that way. So I'll let go of a little bit, but then I'll hold on to the rest. You can't. You know, if we're middle of the road, then yeah, we can try to do that and it doesn't really work anyway. But if you are Saul, you have to make a complete shift. If you are St. Moses the Strong, if you are St. Mary of Egypt, 
if you're St. Augustine, if you are the people whose lives were totally off the rails, you can't live in two camps. And so you have to make a change. And for this reason, we read in Acts 9.18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. He didn't just receive sight through his organs. It wasn't just physical. It was a spiritual sight as well. And the spiritual sight is great because it not only looks outward, it looks inward. It sees the world, but it also sees us. It sees inside myself. And it's only by seeing inside myself that I have any hope at all of changing things. It's only by seeing inside myself that I can assess properly. You know, until that time, Saul thought he was doing exactly the right thing. But it took this for him to be able to say, well, I've thought about my life. I've thought about you, Lord, whom I have persecuted. I've thought of all the people I've tormented, all the people I've wronged, people I've killed, people I was going to kill. And this is not me. This isn't me. I'm, I'm changing. You've changed me. But I'm going to continue in this road, on this road. I'm going to continue in the message you have given me. If he had not had that proper experience during those days before scales fell from his eyes, how would, we have told, how would he have told us about them? So Basil says to us quite clearly that it's impossible for anyone to explain the taste of honey unless you've tasted it yourself. How do you, taste, how do you explain honey? You've got to taste it. And so St. Paul, in his writings, in his epistles, in his powerful witness, in his teachings that we all go by until today, but when I'm speaking, I'm sure a huge chunk of the verses that I will mention, and not intentionally, will be St. Paul's. With many preachers, that'll be the same, because he has spoken so powerfully and relevantly. But he tasted it. He sensed, he saw, he experienced. And so we need to experience God. Now, we're not going to have a Damascus Road experience. Hopefully you don't have to go blind. But take the time out to be instructed. He went to Ananias to learn. You have people in your lives. You have your confession fathers, your spiritual guides. You have your servants. You have good, faithful friends who can help you. Let's face it. Christian living and Christian teaching is not just the work of clergy. You have a responsibility together in relationships, in friendships, in communities to help each other and support each other while knowing the truth and while understanding. Don't do it if you don't understand because you'll lead each other astray. But in learning and understanding, we can also benefit others. We can also help others. 
There's one question, though, I want to ask you. When we see this change in people, and I'm looking now from our own perspective, seeing someone, assuming that we are good, God-fearing, loving people, if we someone, see someone come in the church, whether this person is already a member of the church who has just lapsed, or someone new who is coming in, either way, if we look at this person, and let's assume, for argument's sake, this person is actually as bad as we think. Absolutely, gotten up to whatever we think, whatever we know, it's not just speculation, it's truth. Are we ready to accept them? Because we're told that in Acts 9.26, when Saul had gone back to Jerusalem, he tried to join the apostles, but they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. They weren't willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, at the time, you'd say maybe, okay, that was wise. But that was Saul we're talking about. I'm sure that anyone we meet, anyone we know, is not going to be Saul. Someone you know or meet has not commissioned and then just and actually stood over and watched the stoning to death of a fellow Christian. We're talking about people who may have made the wrong choices in life. Are we willing to accept them? Are we willing to have our churches open as places of sanctuary? Because the church is a sanctuary. The church is a place where people come when they need a safe haven. We often look, and it's not just our church, we look at, I look at many churches, and there is sometimes a parochial territorial feeling of, why are you coming into my space? This is my church. Well, actually, no, it's not. It's not. It is your church partially, but first and foremost, it is the sanctuary for all. It is God's house. It is God's home. For all intents and purposes, it is it's a hospital. It's a place of healing and recovery. Are we just willing to stand at the doors of our church and say, well, actually, yeah, you're, you're fit and you're healthy. Come in. You're great. No, you, you dress well. You, you obviously have the right job, have the right career. You, you have the right makings of a good person. Of course, you come in. Well, two problems with that. First of all, you can't judge people by the way they look or even by their histories because God changes and transforms. Secondly, if someone put you up to that same scrutiny, would you walk in? If someone stood there and looked at me walking in saying, hang on, wait, your life, your deeds, your choices, would I make it in? The only one who has the right to stand in that place and make that judgment is God himself. And if he was going to stand and make that judgment only with his justice, none of us would walk in. But it is because he also looks at us mercifully that we're able to enter. And so what we need to look from the other side, 
Okay, we've seen St. Paul, and I want us to take that as a lesson. But I also wanted us to take a lesson on how to receive people. Are we willing to receive people whose lives have changed? Whether we know them or we don't. Are we willing not only to give them the benefit of the doubt, but to embrace them and become a part of the healing? Because don't forget, when people walk into environments like that, they're already vulnerable. They're already self-conscious. Someone whose life has been less than exemplary, walking into a place that he or she sees as a place of righteousness and holiness, walks in very reluctantly anyway. And so if you stand at the door of this hospital and you look and say, oh, look, you've got a big gaping wound in your side, they know that already. They understand that. That's why they're there. They're there for that healing. So rather than stating the obvious or assuming what isn't right, are we able to become part of the healing process? And accept people and say, I'll help you. We all watch these movies and we say, yes, I'd like to be the hero. You know, something happens and suddenly you run and you help someone. But are we really willing to do that? Day to day? Are we willing to, to get a bit of blood on our clothes and, and maybe just a little bit dirty doing it? Or I just want to be pristine and have this nice white coat on. Imagine if doctors had nice white coats on that they didn't want dirtied. No, 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 don't come anywhere near me. I don't want those blood spatter on me. Not those germs. No, no, you have germs. You stay outside of the hospital. You come in when you're okay. Well, if I'm okay, I don't need to come in. What's even worse, and those of you in the medical industry will understand, you don't want to walk into a hospital and pick up MRSA. You don't want to walk in and pick up an infection that kills you. Because that would be horrendous. Our hospitals should be kept clean, sanctified, purified. The church should be a place of healing where we hold ourselves account, accountable and we wash our hands constantly, make sure we don't have any germs, make sure we don't communicate our own things, but then we accept those who are unwell. The Pauls of this world who were souls but through being embraced and received, become Pauls. Become holy people, become powerful people, become witnesses, and become people whom we celebrate until today, and who become an example for us, even if their lives were different when they started. And glory be to God forever. Amen.